This Dharma Talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. Good evening, everybody. Um, thanks for being here, and, and thanks, uh, thank you to Miyoshi for uh, asking me to speak this evening. Um, in recognition of uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, um, I think it's important to start off the talk with reading the City of Chicago Land Acknowledgement. Um, it, uh, this land acknowledgement can be found on the Shy Nations Youth Council website, which uh, I encourage everyone to check out and donate to their cause. Um, Chai Nations Youth Council was created in 2012 and is comprised of a, a diverse group of youth and adults with the mission to create a supportive open environment for Native youth. Uh, they help raise awareness of cultural identity and promote healthy lifestyle through arts, activism, and education. Um, so the, the land acknowledgement goes as follows. Whereas the city of Chicago acknowledges that Chicago formerly known as Zigagu to the native people sits on the edge of multiple ecosystems, including swamp, oak, savanna, and prairie with waterways connecting the Mississippi River and Great Lakes. Whereas the city of Chicago acknowledges it sits upon ancestral homeland to the Anishinaabek Niswi Mishkodawan Council of the Three Fires, Ojibwe, Odawa, and the Potawatomi, along with dozens of tribes who cultivated and molded the land to sustainably suit their needs uh, since time immemorial. Whereas the city of Chicago acknowledges that an acknowledgement of the land is an indigenous protocol performed on indigenous lands across the globe. Whereas the city of Chicago acknowledges the Anishin uh, Bemowin for providing the names of Chicago and Lake Michigan, along with uh, multiple territories, waterways, roads and parks in and around Chicago. Whereas the city of Chicago acknowledges it was and is a site of trade, travel, and healing for indigenous people since time immemorial. Whereas the city of Chicago acknowledges indigenous knowledge systems and infrastructure continue to be appropriated as the blueprints of Chicago. Whereas the city of Chicago acknowledges that the treaties made with the people of the three fires have not been honored and the destruction and disposition of the land and life of indigenous peoples continues until this day. Whereas the city of Chicago acknowledges that colonialism is an ongoing structure which need to build our mindfulness of our present participation to deconstruct the romanticisms of forced removal and prevent further genocide of remaining indigenous peoples. Whereas the city of Chicago acknowledges it is currently home to over 75,000 American Indians known as urban Indians who keep their tribal kinship and cultures spanning for over 150 tribal nations. Whereas the city of Chicago acknowledges and supports the modern indigenous people of Chicago, along with those who view Chicago as their ancestral, ancestral territory and continue to practice their kinship, culture, and harvest their medicines and foods that continue to grow in Chicago. Now, therefore, be it resolved, the city of Chicago acknowledges that we occupy uh, as indigenous homelands and have a great appreciation and gratitude to those who ter uh, territory we occupy. And be it further resolved, the city of Chicago acknowledges the remarkable resilience of the indigenous people and the American Indian community that continues to practice their tribal and intertribal cultures while flourishing in modern day Chicago and continue to enhance our great city's beauty. So tonight I would like to um, explore um, in some ways, kind of given what's going on in the news, um, two of the 10 grave precepts. 
I vow not to kill and I vow not to take what is not given. So humans, particularly white men, um, have a long, well-documented history of taking what is not given to them uh, and using whatever means necessary to obtain and uh, maintain possession of uh, the objects of their desire. Through hyper-industrialization and capitalism, we have ravaged the planet and are now facing the dire consequences of our actions in the form of climate change, poverty, food insecurity, poor quality of life, and worsening mental and physical health. And beyond what we have done to the planet, we've also found ways to exploit, subjugate, and oppress members of our own species. Fascism, colonialism, systemic oppression and racism, and genocide are all steeped in willful violence. And when those things are left unquestioned or unchecked, it is unsurprising to me when violence erupts in return. Oftentimes out of desperation, after nonviolent responses have repeatedly fallen short. I'm incredibly dismayed and, and grief stricken and heartbroken by the situation in Israel, uh, Gaza and the West Bank. I'm also angered by the one dimensional and convenient good guys versus terrorist narrative that has been perpetuated by most politicians and media outlets, garnering further support for the worldwide military industrial complex, which is another major contributing factor to climate change and human devastation. And what that kind of narrative miss, you know, is sort of perpetuating is this idea that everyone wins when the bad guys lose. Uh, and if history has taught us anything is that if we like sort of kill one bad guy, it creates a hundred more. And, you know, it doesn't seem like violence is the solution here. Um, and at the end of the day, I just, I, I'm still feeling pretty conflicted because I'm in this position of privilege. Um, you know, I, I don't live in an open air prison. My home isn't being stolen from me. The people I know and love aren't being arrested and murdered. Um, I have plenty of food, water, and shelter. And so it, it's left me confused and conflicted because I, you know, in, in being on social media in the past couple of days, I've seen people on either extreme where there are sort of people like celebrating uh, and, and wanting Palestinian liberation, and then also kind of on the other side, condemning the attacks, um, which both, it all makes sense to me, right? Like, I don't think, I, I don't support loss of life. I don't support violence. Um, but that it just, yeah, so it leaves me kind of conflicted in this position of privilege here. So I'm not sure, you know, I, I think ultimately where I land is with the precepts and is uh, in nonviolence, but I also uh, feel incredibly conflicted. Um, so I do think it's important to remain hopeful uh, in the human ability to change and grow. Because if not, I think it's very easy to fall into kind of complacency and despair and nihilism. And in times like these, I turn to people like Thich Nhat Hanh for strength and wisdom. Uh, and now I would like to read um, his 2003 uh, address to Congress titled The Path is Peace. Uh, it's a bit lengthy, but I think it's important to kind of read in full. Um, and kind of as a humorous aside, I was like, when I was reading this today, like what, if Thich Nhat Hanh did this currently, he'd be like talking to Marjorie Taylor Greene and like Matt Gates. I would like love to be a fly on the wall uh, if he were giving this speech to the current Congress. Okay, so, um, and again, it's lengthy, but I, I, I think it's important. So um, 
Distinguished members of Congress, ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, it is my pleasure to have this opportunity to talk with you about how we can share our insight, our compassion, and our understanding in order to better serve those that we want to serve and help heal the wounds that have divided our nation and the world. When you sit in your car on the way to work, you might like to use that time to come home to yourself and touch the wonders of life. Instead of allowing yourself to think of the future, you might like to pay attention to your breath and come home to the present moment. We breathe in and out all day, but we are not aware that we are breathing in and out. The practice of bringing our attention to our breath is called mindful breathing. Breathing in, I know that I'm alive. Breathing out, I smile to life. This is a very simple practice. If we go home to our breath, our in-breath and out-breath and breathe mindfully, we become fully alive in the here and now. In our daily lives, our bodies are present, but our minds might be elsewhere, caught in our projects, our worries, and our anxieties. Life is only available in the present moment. The past is already gone. The future is not here yet. When we establish ourselves in the present moment, we are able to live our moments deeply and to get in touch with the healing and refreshing and nourishing elements that are always within us and around us. With this energy of mindfulness, we can recognize our pain and embrace it tenderly like a mother whose baby is crying. When a baby cries, the mother stops everything she's doing and holds the baby tenderly in her arms. The energy of the mother will penetrate into the baby and the baby will feel relief. The same things happens when we recognize and embrace our own pain and sorrow. If we can hold our anger, our sorrow, our sorrow and our fear with the energy of mindfulness, we'll be able to recognize the roots of our suffering. We'll be able to recognize the suffering and the people we love as well. Mindfulness helps us to not be angry at our loved ones, because when we are mindful, we understand that our loved ones are suffering as well. The person you love has a lot of suffering and has not had a chance to be listened to. It is very important to take this time to sit down and listen with compassion. We call this practice deep listening. Deep listening can be used with the practice of loving speech to help restore communication with the people you care about. To listen like this is to give the other person the chance to empty his or her heart. If you can keep your compassion alive during that time, even what the other person said, even if what the other person says is full of accusations and bitterness, it will not touch off irritation and anger in you. Listen in order to help the other person to suffer less. When you communicate with compassion, you are using language that does not have elements of anger and irritation in it. In this way, we can help each other remove wrong perceptions. All the energies of anger, hatred, fear, and violence come from wrong perceptions. Wrong perceptions result in a lot of anger, mistrust, suspicion, hate, and terrorism. You cannot remove wrong perceptions through punishment. You have to do it with the tools of deep and compassionate listening and loving speech. With deep, compassionate listening and loving speech, we can bring harmony to our families our and our communities harmony to our families and our communities can become communities of understanding, peace, and happiness. When I was in India a number of years ago, I spoke to Mr. R.K. Narayan, a member of the Indian parliament, about the practice of deep listening and compassionate dialogue in legislative bodies. When you represent the people, you are expected to offer the people the best of your understanding and compassion. I said that a legislative assembly could become a, a community with a lot of mutual understanding and compassion. 
It could have strong collective insight to support the decision-making and the people of the nation. Here in Washington, before a session of Congress, one person could read a short meditation. Dear colleagues, we are elected by our people and our people expect us to listen to each other deeply and to use this kind language that can convey our wisdom and insight. Let us bring together our individual experiences and wisdom so that we can offer our collective insight and make the best decisions for our, the country and the people. When a member of Congress is speaking from her insight with this kind of language, she's offering the best of herself. If we only act and speak the party line, then we are not offering the best compassion and understanding we have. Members of Congress are very concerned about the levels of violence in our families, in our schools, and in our society. Each concerned person may have his or her own ideas and insights about how to bring down that level of violence. If we combine all of our insights and experiences, we will have the collective insight that will help us to decrease the amount of violence in our society. We are not able to listen to our colleagues with free heart. If we are not able to listen to our colleagues with a free heart, uh, though, if we only consider and support ideas from our own party, we are harming the foundation of our democracy. That is why we need to transform our community, in this case, the Congress, into a compassionate community. Everyone would be considered a brother or sister to everyone else. Congress would be a place where we learn to listen to everyone with equal interest and concern. The practice of deep and compassionate listening and loving speech can help to build brotherhood, can remove discrimination, and can bring the kind of insight that will be liberating to our country and to our people. Two days after the events of September 11th, I spoke to 4,000 people in Berkeley, California. I said that our emotions are very strong right now and we should calm ourselves down. With lucidity and calm, we would know what to do and what not to do in order to make the situation worse. I said that the terrorists who attacked the World Trade Center must have been very angry. They must have hated America a lot. They must have thought of America as having tried to destroy them as individual people, as a religion, as a nation, and as a culture. I said that we had to find a way, uh, found out, we have to find out why they did such a thing to America. America's political leaders can ask the question calmly and with clarity. What have we done that made you suffer so much? America's political leaders can say, we want to know about your suffering and why you hate us. We may have said something or done something that gave you the impression that we wanted to destroy you, but that is not the case. We are confused and that is why we want to help on, us on, uh, help want you to help us understand what we have some, why you have done such a thing. We call this loving or gentle speech. If we are honest and sincere, they will tell us how they feel. Then we will recognize the wrong perceptions they have about themselves and about us. We can try to help them remove their wrong perceptions. All these acts of terrorism and violence come from wrong perceptions. Wrong perceptions are the ground for anger, violence, and hate. You cannot, remove, you cannot remove wrong perceptions with a gun. When we listen deeply to one another, we not only recognize their wrong perceptions, but we also identify that our own, our own wrong perceptions about ourselves and about the other person. That is why mindful dialogue and mindful communication is crucial to removing anger and violence. It is my deepest hope that our political leaders can make use of such instruments to bring peace to the world. I believe that using force and violence can only make the situation worse. Since September 11th, America has not been able to decrease the level of hate and violence on the part of terrorists. In fact, the level of hate and violence has increased. 
it is time for us to go back to the situation, to look deeply and to find another less costly way to bring peace to us and to them. Violence cannot remove violence, everyone knows that. Only with the practice of deep listening and gentle communication can we help re remove wrong perceptions that are a foundation of violence. America has a lot of difficulty in Iraq. I think that America is caught in the Iraq the same way that America was caught in Vietnam. We have the idea that we have to go and destroy the enemy. That idea will never give us a chance to do the right thing to end violence. During the Vietnam War, America thought it had to go to North Vietnam to bomb. The more American bombed, the more communists they created. I'm afraid that the same thing is happening in Iraq. I think that it is very difficult for America to withdraw now from Iraq. Even if they want to leave, it is very difficult. The only way for America to free itself from this situation is to help build the United Nations into a real body of peace so that the United Nations will take over the problem of Iraq and of the Middle East. America is powerful enough to make this happen. America should allow other nations to contribute positively to the building of the United Nations into a true organization for peace without authority to do it with the authority to do its job. To me, that is the only way out of our current situation. We have to wake up to the fact that everything is connected to everything else. Our safety and well-being cannot be individual matters anymore. If they are not safe, there's no way that we can be safe. Taking care of other people's safety is taking care of our own safety. To take care of their well-being is to take care of our own well-being as well. It is the mind of discrimination and separation that is at the foundation of all the hate and violence. My right hand has written all the poems that I have ever composed. My left hand has not written a single poem. But my right hand does not think, left hand, you are good for nothing. My right hand does not have a superiority complex. That is why it is very happy. My left hand does not have any complex at all. In my two hands, there is a kind of wisdom called the wisdom of non-discrimination. One day I was hammering a nail and my right hand was not very accurate. And instead of pounding on the nail, it pounded on my finger. It put the hammer down and took care of the left hand in a very tender way, as if it were taking care of itself. It did not say, left hand, you have to remember that I have taken good care of you and you have to pay me back in the future. There was no such thinking. And my left hand did not say, right hand, you have done me a lot of harm. Give me that hammer. I want justice. My two hands know that they are members of one body. They are in each other. This continues the speech. I didn't write this, and this was in 2003. I think that if Israelis and Palestinians knew that they were brothers and sisters, that they are like my two hands, they would not try to punish each other anymore. The world community has not helped them to see it. If Israelis and Palestinians and Muslims and Hindus knew that discrimination was at the base of our suffering, they would know how to touch the seed of non-discrimination in themselves. That kind, of, that kind of awakening, that kind of deep understanding brings about reconciliation and well-being. Yeah, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit. At Plum Village, there are several hundred people uh, living together uh, like a family in a very simple way. At Plum Village, we have had the opportunity to practice together as a community. We're able to build up brotherhood and sisterhood. Although we live simply, we have a lot of joy because of the amount of understanding and compassion that we generate. 
We're able to go to many country, countries to offer mindfulness retreats so that people may have a chance to heal, transform, reconcile, and reconcile. Healing, transformation, and reconciliation always happens during our retreats. This can be very nourishing. We have invited Israelis and Palestinians to Palm Village to practice with us. When they come, they bring their anger, suspicion, fear, and hate. But a week or two after, uh, but after a week or two of their practices of mindful walking, mindful breathing, mindful eating, and mindful sitting, they are able to recognize their pain, embrace it, and find relief. When they are initiated to the practice of deep listening, they're able to listen to others and realize that people from other groups suffer as they do. When you know that they also suffer from violence, from hate, from fear, from despair, you begin to look at them with the eyes of compassion. At the moment you suffer less and you make them suffer less. Communication becomes possible with the use of loving speech and deep listening. So, a couple more things and then we'll wrap, wrap it up. One of the concrete things that Congress could do is look deeply into the matter of consumption. We think that happiness is possible when we have the power to consume, but by consuming, we bring into us a lot of toxins and poisons. The way we eat, the way we watch television, and the way we entertain ourselves brings us a lot of destruction. Because we consume so much, the environment suffers. Learning to consume only the things that can bring peace and health into our body and into our consciousness is very important practice. Mindful consumption is the practice that can bring us out of much of our unhappiness. By consuming unmindfully, we continue to bring the elements of craving, fear, and violence into ourselves. There's so much suffering in people. They consume because they do not know how to handle their suffering. Something should be done to help people go, to go home to themselves and take care of their suffering. Congress would find ways to encourage people to consume mindfully and produce mindfully instead of creating products that bring toxins and craving into the hearts and bodies of people. Producing with responsibility should be our practice. My strongest desire is that members of Congress will have to, time to look into these matters and look deeply into the roots of their own suffering, the suffering of this nation and the suffering of the world. We already have compassion and understanding necessary to heal the world.